Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too, how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. This is Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck Podcast, and I am here with my second solo cast for you today. And so as I promised before that I was going to talk about my favorite rebel mystics, poets, writers, those off the over-tread, is that a word? Highly-tread spiritual path. (laughs) And it's funny because the first thing that popped in my mind as I've been in this deep contemplation around The Handmaid's Tale is... What an incredible rebel mystic is the character of June Osborne in The Handmaid's Tale. Because I was watching the episode that I watched yesterday, and she didn't lose her faith in God. And there's this moment where she's with this other character, Janine. And she says, Janine says, God would not do this to us. God would not, like... um you know, kind of put us through this or something like this. Like we must be shunned by God or forgotten by God because we're suffering, right? And June says that's not how he works. And I thought that was such a bold claim. In that moment in time in the show, you're essentially getting a picture of the wheel of samsara. And you have one person who is coming with a traditional kind of a thought based about good and bad. And if you do something bad, you're going to be punished. So we must have done something bad because we're being punished, right? And then you have this character of June Osborne who comes with this nuanced perspective, like it doesn't work like that. If you're having a shitty life, a shitty time, it's not because the universe is trying to spite you. It actually may be giving you a gift because it's creating and molding and crafting the soul that you are. If you didn't have any contrast 
to craft you, to chip away at you, to mold at you. You may be kind of just a blob blob of a soul. <laughs> and in that moment, there is a, such of a rebel mystic wisdom. There's such a deep spiritual wisdom. Like it's not how it works. And so, so many of us probably were raised with that line of Western spiritual or religious thought that's like, hey, you know, like if your life sucks, you probably did something wrong or it's probably your bad karma. But when we flip that perspective, we can actually go, wait, this may be because I did something right. (laughs) This may be because I want to know the depths of my soul. So I'm asking life to come at me with a bunch of swords and like sort of chisels and hammers so that I can know myself more deeply, so that I can be crafted and molded and sculpted more deeply. So you may walk by like, you know, a houseless person on the street and think, oh, you know, a traditional kind of Western or I don't even know if it's Western or not, but a mainstream will say spiritual perspective would think, oh, they must have had a bad karma or something, right? They must have a bad karma. They must have did something last life. We must have did something better because we have the house or a car or the money or whatever. But it's not. It's not like that. If we if we look at what June Osborne said, we can go, oh, wait, they may have asked for that soul-making experience from life, right? I don't think it works that linearly, but that's the best that sort of my my basic mind can come up with to explain. But like that they that 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 soul wanted to know itself, right? Because we know ourselves when we're put in new situations or circumstances, sometimes extreme ones, and sometimes when we face suffering, right? You can say that you're a quote unquote spiritual person and you know, kind of be spiritual, like in your home and your nice city and your nice, you know, with all your conveniences and da, 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 da. But it's the question of who do you become when your house is gone, when your lover is gone, when you're ill, when you're broke, (laughs) who are you then, you know? And so in that moment in The Handmaid's Tale, I really was like, oh, yeah, she is a great character who's like a spiritual rebel mystic who sees beyond that programmed way of thinking like, oh, the pretty girl with the money must have done something better than me. She must have done something right. She must know something I don't know. That line of thought is so toxic and it's not your fault if if you think that, right? It's a deep programming and it came from a lot of television and it may have come from actual like intentional mind control programming. I'm not sure, but it may have probably from marketing and capitalism, like, okay, very basic, right? Okay, if we show people that look a certain way and dress a certain way, people will buy the things that, that make them look like that too, And we'll sell that as happiness. We'll call that happiness. And then when people don't have that, they'll think that they got to dedicate their lives to getting it and buying it. 
And I was listening to the Sounds True podcast. My book is published through Sounds True um, with Tammy Simon and, and, and Larea, this beautiful um, author. I say beautiful because on um, Instagram, I've seen her in, in her Instagram handle has something like about a mermaid. Um, and she has these pictures where she looks like an interstellar mermaid, in my opinion. <laughs> but so she wrote a book called Love Without Reason. And um, I was listening to Tammy Simon interview her on the Sounds True podcast. And she really kind of blew my mind as a woman who saw beyond the veil of this kind of line of of new ageism, spiritual thought, like, oh, something bad must have happened to me because I deserved it karmically. Or um, when she experienced suffering in her life, if I'm getting this correct, uh, she decided to embark on a project where she went and lived on Skid Row for, I believe, 40 days. I'm not sure if it was directly correlated to Jesus's 40 days, but and I believe that she just brought a tent and a yoga mat and then began to uh, make her way, asking strangers for money, making community there, supporting the community, and living in that place. And I thought, when I heard that, I thought, wow, what a, an incredible rebel mystic and a woman who wants to know her soul. Because we don't know ourselves in the comfort and safety of an ivory tower being locked away from others, right? We don't know our soul unless we extend the vulnerability of our being outward and we take that risk often. If you don't feel nervous scared, excited, touched by your daily actions, by the vulnerable risks that you take, then likely you aren't meeting your soul. You may have become dulled by the, you know, sort of humdrum of life. You may have become focused on solving a certain problem, be it around money or health or a relationship. And all of that is okay. And yet, you have this great life. You have this incredible being. You have this body at which to know who you are at depth. So why not, why not take the risk and actually get to know yourself? This is, for me, what spiritual growth is. And that's why, uh, for, for me, I don't like to stay sort of lingering in comfort for too long. Be it a home, a job, a community. Not saying that I jump around a ton. I am a Gemini rising, so, you know, I like to sort of put my hand in different pots. But, but noticing if a part of you becomes kind of complacent or dull, to the humdrum and you sort of go into that trance where oh yeah we'll do this and this and the routine becomes too routine 
Now you can also get to know yourself within a really simplistic routine. I'm not saying that everyone should go out and like do something crazy. You can get to know yourself in the real simple moments in life. If you're present and aware in those moments. And I, I said this to a client this week. I said, okay, I want to, I want to ask you how you would sweep your home. Tell me, how would you sweep your home? She was like, oh, I don't know, just sweeping, sweep. I mean, I would just sweep and just get the broom and sweep. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to give you some options about how I would potentially sweep. And the first thing that came to my mind was like a woman who is um, in some dewy, moist Latin American country, kind of maybe like one of the women in my family in Brazil. Though I'm not sure if they did much sweeping, but but like, you know, there's an outside varanda, veranda, and um, and there's music playing, and she's wearing like, you know, a little dress, and, you know, um, there's like mm, the smell in the air, and like the music is kind of going through her body as she's sweeping, sweeping with this feeling in her heart of my beloved is coming home. A man's coming home. I'm going to make the house so yummy for him. Oh, just love is present, right? A really particular how, how to sweep. Another, another way that I maybe would sweep would be to energetically cleanse my space. So how I would sweep in that moment would be to really focus on you know, clearing out the bad vibes, the energy from the room, like being like an old sorcerer's witch, sweeping, maybe making some sounds, chanting, opening the windows, bye-bye, cleaning, clearing, clearing. So the reason that I tell that story is because it's not about what you do in this life. It's how you do it. It's what you bring to that moment. And we often get really entranced on the what. What is my job? What's my body type? What's my bank account? And we don't think about the how, right? In that simple act of sweeping, there could be a multitude of different uh, intentions, vibes, embodiments, energies, whatever you want to call them, experiences. We can take out all the woo, dry it up, ring it out, just say experiences. The experience of sweeping could be many, many different things. So when I talk about like you knowing your soul and you getting to know the depths of who you truly are before you die, I don't mean, oh, I got to become Joan of Arc or Mother Teresa. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Sometimes the risk that you take is simply with your beloved when you're making love, looking into their eyes and taking a breath and softening and feeling how you could make love with your eyes closed or your heart sort of closed and sort of be in the shallow, but bearing the vulnerability of looking into their eyes and letting them see you, know you more deeply. So 
It's easy to let years go by and you don't really bear your depths to anyone or maybe just to like your parents or your family who you already feel comfortable with. They know you. They're not going to kick you out the door. They love you. So it's not quite as soul-making than bearing your depths to a community, to a lover, to a project, even to a moment of, you know, offering to buy lunch for a stranger, like something like Lorea discusses in her book, Love Without Reason. Those are the moments where we know ourselves. And we have to sort of forgive ourselves in those moments for how awkward we can be because we're doing something new, right? So you might act really awkward the first time. Like if my if my lover, I remember actually a few years ago, must have been back in like 2016, I was with a, with a man that I was seeing and um, we had a beautiful day. We did... Um, mushroom journey and I mean it was one of those days you'll always remember and in the evening he drew us a bath and put like rose petals and rose oil in there and like candlelight and we're in the bath together and um and he said will you sing for me and in that moment I couldn't sing for him I was too embarrassed. I've been told my whole life that, like, my dad used to say always that I had a terrible voice, and I couldn't sing for him. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. And he sang for me, and it was so touching and so beautiful. And um, that was an opportunity to bear my soul, to know my soul. And I didn't take it. At that time, I probably thought I was too cool or, you know. But with my partner now, I sing to him all the time. And it's so satisfying. But now I've got comfortable with it. So it's less like soul-bearing. There are other things that maybe are more vulnerable. And that's what happens as we grow, right? Like the me five years ago was afraid to sing. And the me now may be afraid to sort of lean on someone or ask for help or, you know, we all have these places. And it's a good thing to just ask yourself, what are you afraid of showing? What are you afraid of being honest about? Where is that tender place in your own soul? Isn't in being loved and being supported and being seen and being heard? Is it in giving? Is it in sharing? What masks can you take down to reveal the vulnerability of your true, true soul before you die? So that if you took your little cutie pie personality and put it in a box and said, bye girl, who would you be? Who would you be? Take your clothes, take your makeup, take your social media, take your personality, take where you went to college, put it all in a motherfucking box. Because that's not you, that's personality. That's not you at depth, that's surface you, which could change in a moment. So it's not really you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's you today, cool, totally. 
but you can cut your hair and be a slightly different personality in a few years. So who are you at depth? That's what I'm interested in knowing. And that takes having these moments in life where you risk bringing that out and letting that be bigger than your personality. I don't mean bigger as in louder. I mean more at the forefront of the experience you're having. Or you just live life from that comfortable personality space. Okay, cool. I've just established who Alexandra is. Okay, she she does like this, and sometimes she's like this, and she usually dresses like this, and da-da-da-da-da. Cool. Great. I'm comfortable with that. Fabulous. I sort of know in the back of my head what she does or doesn't do, or does or doesn't talk about, right? Oh, great. Safety of this identity. How do I grow from there? How am I really knowing myself from there? It's when I, when I say, oh, I know I usually don't sing for strangers, but I'm going to. Or I usually don't sing for my lover, but I'm going to. And we break the mold. I think it's Dr. Joe Dispenza says that you, Dispenza, excuse me, says you break the habit of being yourself. I'm not really sure what his whole, whole thing is, but I love that phrase. And then when we break the habit of being ourselves, to use his phrase, because again, I don't know much about his work. But when we break the habit of being ourselves, we get to know our true selves. And there may be pieces in there, like little shards of glass that need to be picked out, right? In the revelation of, let's say, my song and singing to that lover, I may find the pain that I stuffed down when I was told that I was a terrible singer when I was younger. And so part of maybe why I don't want to sing is because I don't want to feel that pain. So in this, this sort of coming out of our, of our comfort zone, personality, behavioral patterns, we also risk letting there be pain or grief that comes up. What about the grief for all the times that I didn't sing? That I was nervous, self-conscious, self-critical. So then in my process of coming into seeing, that stuff may come up. And that's enough to keep most people avoiding these moments, to be honest. It's like, oh shit, somewhere, somewhere you know, whether it's conscious or not, that if you open some of those soul doors, there are going to be some feelings, 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 feelings. And some of them might not be quote unquote positive. They may be ugly and messy, which is another trope of mainstream kind of spirituality is like that it's not okay to not feel good or it's not okay to have yucky feelings or to be messy and to feel kind of like unraveled. They've got to have it figured out. And that to just be in the, I don't know. I don't know why we're here. I don't know who I am. I don't know. That that is actually so sort of gauche in the sort of modern arena. It's like, no, I know how to heal you. And I know how to heal myself. And I, I know how to, you know, I know about spirit and God. And I know why we're here. And I know where I'm going after I die. And everything's settled and we're good. Great. Awesome. Which is all a big laugh. Because <laughs> we don't know the great mystery of who created us. 
or how we were created or when we were created. I mean, there's some scientific evidence as to when humans, but I mean sort of life existence. And we can, you know, read so many different spiritual texts. We can hear from people's near-death experiences, etc. We still don't really know where we're going. And just because one soul goes one place, that doesn't mean we all do. So essentially, as we lean into the unknown of who we are, we also lean into the great unknown of this whole schema called life. And that is so delicious and so terrifying. <laughs> so I'm always wary of the people that, you know, that they, they know everything. They know where we're going and they've got the answer through their spiritual practice and their religion. And they know and they know how to do it and they know what to do and da 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 You know, and they've got the whole, everything's planned. I'm sure I've been that person at times too, but I'm always wary of that. And coming into the childlike awe and wonder is coming into the I don't know. And the mystery and bowing to that great mystery. Because it's so magnificent. You know, it's so magnificent. I watched the Truman Show recently on an airplane. And um, and it, it just, I loved it. <laughs> and it just struck me, right? Like you have these like... You have this Ed Harris character who's playing um, this creator and in this like boardroom, this production room of watching and curating everything that's happening for Truman and everything is an ad. And it's like, it's kind of uncanny. Some of the similarities that feel like to this life, obviously it's a very dramatic, dramatized and, and exaggerated, but watching that gives a nice little kind of shake in one's boots of like, we don't know who's watching. <laughs> we don't know why things are as they are. So these are my rebel mystics, you know, these moments and these shares. And I mean, I could go back. I've studied and studied and studied and studied. And I could tell you so many poets and traditional mystics and da, da, da. But the ones that came into my heart and were just these these ones, these three that I mentioned, the character of June Osborne and Larea, who wrote Love Without Reason, and then now just Truman on The Truman Show. Because at the end of Truman Show, Truman opts to leave the, the sort of, wait, spoiler alert, if you weren't around in the 90s and you missed Jim Carrey and the Truman Show. <laughs> um, but at the end of the Truman Show, he opts to leave the simulation. So he, he there's this perfect, safe, beautiful little comfort bubble of life and people that love him, but he opts to leave into that which we call reality, but into like the the wider world where there's a lot of pain and sorrow and disease and suffering. But he opts to go there where his soul can be made, where he can know who he truly is at depth. And that's it. That's like the same, the same principle. So highly recommend Handmaid's Tale, if you haven't watched all four seasons, there's a lot of violence, trigger warning on that, but as um, 
I mentioned in, in a newsletter that I put out that there's a book called Movie Yoga, and in the book called Movie Yoga, they talk about, well, it's a, a guy who wrote it, I can't remember his name, but he, he studied with Stanislav Grof for 30 friggin' years, and Stanislav Grof was the big holotropic breathwork founder. And um, and this man, forgive me for not knowing his name, Google Movie Yoga, Um. He wrote a book about how actually our ability to sit with the imagery of the unconscious part of our psyche, the collective psyche, and not turn away is a type of yoga. It's like, you know, our fear of certain elements of humanity actually um, create a divide and a shadow. They create a shadow. We put it in shadow. And um, another great rebel mystic, I'm just going to add one in, is, is Alejandro Jodorowsky. And, and there's a documentary that I watched last week called Psychomagic, and it's, it's based off his book, Psychomagic. And there's this moment from one of his films that he shows in the documentary where this little boy wakes up at night crying, and he's like, Mom, the darkness is coming to get me. It's so dark at night. And the mom is singing opera, and she, she paints him with a black paint and says, now you match the night sky and now you are that. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, it's such a funny thing that kids are afraid of the dark, right? I'm still sometimes wake up in the middle of the night from nightmare, afraid of the dark. What is that? And it, it kind of, it goes back to this aspect of all the things that are in our unconscious that are in this great pool of shadow inside of us. Um, and that they're aspects of humanity. So us turning away from them is fine. I'm not saying you have to watch like gory stuff if you don't want to. But it's actually the more that we're afraid of those aspects, the more that we hold them you know, in shadow. We're not acquainted with them fully. So for me, watching The Handmaid's Tale has actually helped me to feel more um, conf- okay with seeing violence, not because I want to be desensitized, but because I don't want to avoid seeing things that are scary or violent because I'm afraid. I don't want to create that divide between myself and life or suffering. I don't want to sh- protect or shield myself like a, like the, in the Truman Show. I don't want to put myself in the bubble where that stuff doesn't happen and I don't have to look at it. So you can titrate how much of that you're able to consume. I mean, there's phases in my life where I can't watch any of it, and that's fine. And right now, I'm able to watch The Handmaid's Tale. And I actually fast-forwarded through, like, a torture scene. I was like, I cannot watch that. Definitely not hard, hard no for me, even if it means that I'm, you know, less spiritually advanced. Because essentially, we're facing our death. We're facing the concept of death. We're facing the God of death. In those moments where we see torture, where we see, you know, and it's coming obviously from, um, you know, malevolence in those moments, let's say, where we watch torture or something like that, but it's calling forth in us this fear of pain and death. And so for me, when I watched the, when I saw the torture scene coming up, I was like, I can't watch that. I'm just, that's where I'm at spiritually. My fear of my own pain and death is still there. You know, and, and so there's something to that. And I'm not, I'm not meaning to oversimplify it here. Uh, I would recommend you watch Yodorovsky's Healing Magic or uh, Psychomagic, 
I'd recommend that you pick up the movie yoga book. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, and feel into your own journey, you know, and with, with in regards to watching or consuming content that's violent. And also just noticing, like, where am I able to look towards the suffering of this world and where am I not? And, and that's okay. It's all okay. Like, wherever you are on your path is totally okay. So, so okay. But Yodorovsky is another one of those very um, transformational energy, like, you know, there's a there's a scene in that film where he has a man who's a heroin addict who's healing from um, heroin addiction. He um, buries him naked and then puts this glass bowl over his head with holes in it so he can breathe and then puts um, raw meat all over the top layer of the earth and then vultures come and the man is watching because his head is the only thing that's not buried and it's in this glass thing so the vultures can't pick at him and then that's how he faces his mortality that's how he faces um, death essentially and it feels like he experiences a rebirth and people can experience other kinds of death experiences say in like an ayahuasca ceremony or even in a other type of um, psychedelic or psychotropic or plant medicine experience um, and sometimes after that you feel less scared of death or pain or violence another process of really soul making being able to sit in that space. And there are practices in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition where you visualize feeding your body to demons. And it's very, um, another kind of similar concept, you know, not being afraid of death or of scary things. Um, that's called the Chud practice. And, um, yeah, you can read about that. Um, I'm sure online if you're so inclined. Um, and there's a great book called uh, called Feeding Your Demons by Lama Sultran Aliyam, which I studied with her. I've studied, um, taken her course on that, and um, it's also really beautiful in terms of facing our internal demons. So these are all rebel mystics, rebel mystics, those willing to sit in the uncomfortable places, those willing to grow. Those willing to face death, pain, soul-making, bearing the vulnerability of one's soul. So I hope some of this conversation today has inspired you, just maybe as food for thought and just a place for you to feel into where you are with all this, what inspires you, where you bear your soul. Maybe you'll go watch some of those movies. I love movies and books. I'm such a, um, you know, I love the imagination. So I'll always recommend those things to you guys here. And if you're not on my mailing list, I also send out playlists and also um, f- lists of films and book recommendations every here and, that, and there as well. Um, okay, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this solo cast episode of Holy Fuck. <sighs> if you did, please... Do a little subscribey or write a review. 
I would appreciate that. I don't really know what, why I'm not trying to like make money off this or anything, but it would just be a way to engage with, um, how you feel about the podcast. So mainly for me and my heart. And that's great. All right. Thanks everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more and more and more, follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.